This is the one with a man baby. The iPhone version of CERN. Ronan, the moaning clone drone. Comprehension deficiency. And a doctor of mostly hip. <laughs> it's called the Saranga Conundrum. Here, Here we, we go. go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zoom, and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Echo Center with Ticker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice, choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to yet, 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 yet another episode, episode number 394 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or oh, Doc Past. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is episode N149, the Suranga Conundrum. Hell yes, it is. And it's an all boy hangout tonight. I am Drew Backwen, as you can tell by my shrill needling tones. But don't worry, because the other half of this podcast is the lovely, the louche, the Lothario. <laughs> it's me, it's Leon. Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. Hello, hello, hello. So, Leon, we're halfway through series 11 after this one. Yes, we are. And holy moly, I didn't realise that this was, did you say 394? I did indeed. You heard correctly. Wow. Wow. Somehow this has passed me by. We have yet to make plans for episode 400. Let's put a pin in that and figure that out post-production. Yeah, someone rewire the Jubilee bonus episode, Klaxon. <laughs> <laughs> so the Suranga conundrum, right? That's right, yes. Maybe we should point out as a teeny tiny caveat, Podcast Land, I'm very, very sorry. I had not put a date on the website for the Suranga conundrum. The reason for that being that we we were originally going to, Jim and I were originally going to be recording our fifth Doctor Retrospective tonight, but Jim unfortunately has bloody coronavirus again. So uh, Jim, if you're listening to this, hope you're feeling better. And Marie is having a Christmas party late. <laughs> in May. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's no weirder than Christmas in July. That's right. If anything, it's daring and original. And speaking of daring, and I, I think original, you had the ingenious idea of, hey, no, let's uh, plug this hole with some saranga. And here we are. Yeah, on super short notice. Let's see how much less professional sounding we are with uh, hardly any time to prepare. I'm sure you'll notice an enormous difference. I just watched That's it. the first time that's ever happened. That's net. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and high level, what do you think after having just watched it? You know what? It's better than I remember. That's interesting because I remember liking it at the time. And then I go to look up some trivia on IMDb and I can't help but notice the absolutely dire rating it has and all the atrocious <gasps> reviews that were left at the time. Oh, saying, really? So, yeah, saying this is where doctor who has died you know that this isn't the show i loved anymore oh no um, somehow people staggered through the first four episodes maybe they were just cutting and pasting with different names in the reviews Wait, so they made arachnids but they fell on this one well apparently that's interesting but i never bought it at the time and i'm glad that you enjoyed it more than you remembered because i'm not buying it now oh well <laughs> podcast land your earballs are in for a treat <laughs> I think I feel about this episode the way that I should have felt about arachnids. The way that I felt about arachnids. That it was better than you remembered? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I can't pretend I'm not pleased. I'm flattered. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a fantastic opinion. So what's this episode about? How about we address that by means of a bee scow? Marvellous suggestion. Let's. 
Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call it a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? It's Team TARDIS's second trip into space, and also their second collision course with Fatal Death, courtesy of a sonic mine. Only on this occasion, they're just in time scooped out of their storyline by the medical ship's Uranga, plausibly alerted to the ordinance's detonation by robot dredgers if we're being very generous. Suddenly finding themselves floating further away from the TARDIS, they're joined by a cast of characters that is more charming and fascinating than the remaining 30 minutes will allow us to fully explore. And sound the plot twist! Clacks on because an <laughs> because an adorable little monster has stowed away on board as well to nibble away at the ship, and the soon-to-be fam must sate its appetite before it inadvertently blows them out of the sky. This guy over. You are welcome. How very just. <laughs> So, I have a question. Excellent. Let's hear it. If you have told the Suranga hub by swiping down that you're fine, and you've done that twice, and they detect a third hostile anomaly on the scanners, what do you do? Yeah, I think you just pray to your maker and embrace impending death, because that's probably part part of your contract. Yeah, because if you swipe down, they're going to remotely detonate the ship. If you say, yes, there is a hostile thing then they're going to detonate the ship. So why can they not pay someone? I get that it's a hospital and you've always got budget cutbacks, but just someone to pick up the phone and make visual contact with the people on this bridge. That's a spectacularly good question. I'm going to (laughs) assume, I'm trying to justify this in some way. I'm going to fail, by the way, spoilers. (laughs) I'm going to assume that just like this ship is automated, whoever at the other end of that would-be Skype call is hitting the detonate button is also just an AI. Everyone's been replaced by an algorithm that says if emergency greater than two, then kablau. Kablaui. Kablooey. Kaboom. (laughs) One of those. I mean, I suppose the way out is is you stop the the sensors going off, don't you? I sp- I suppose there is a as a, after two, you don't just stop. That you, you maybe could I don't know deactivate the sensors, although they'd pick up on that. I mean, you you'd have to deal with the threat, wouldn't you? And and then I suppose maybe maybe it does stand up. I don't think so, but I think you've hit upon a solution that that should have struck Doc. Doc should have gone. Wait, hang on. How do they know that there's an emergency? Let's just let's fix that. <laughs> Let's yeah. let's remove the sensor. Let's turn the let's flip the sensor upside down. So every now and then it, they just get an alert that says everything's great. <laughs> you know why they couldn't do that though? Because it would have cut too deeply to the heart of one of the problems, which is the doctor pulls out her sonic. She says, "Uh, I would use this to turn the sensors upside down because this can do absolutely everything whenever I want it to." That's but true. Yes. Now that it's been eaten and spat out and it's not rebooted yet, which I'm going to be surprised by even though i built it four episodes ago i can't do anything i'm completely powerless wait you're right wait she built that why was she surprised by that (laughs) i don't know that didn't dawn on me oh yeah well spotted i mean capaldi i'd buy it because the tardis spat it out and let him play with it and learn as he went yeah exactly which is precisely the logic that i was sort of counting on here i had totally forgotten that she built this from scratch also why does niblet sorry the pating yeah the niblet yes that's right (laughs) 
Lord Nibbler of the Nibblonians, why does he spit it out? Yeah, that's never addressed. So I fully expected that to be addressed, you know, when they go into the holographic Wikipedia and it says, it doesn't eat organic material, it only eats inanimate objects, whatever, inorganic matter. And I fully expected some redonkulous, timey-wimey, spacey-wacy explanation of, yes, but because it's been traveling through time, it has taken on a certain organic quality or whatever, you know, you know. some bullshit it's sort of distantly related to the tardis which is alive exactly yeah the same way that anyone who's ever traveled through time suddenly is the exception that proves the rule yeah they don't they don't address it i mean i I hesitate to say that might be one of those things that i would normally assume has just been cut (laughs) but that is my go-to comment when it comes to something that's written by chibbers that like yeah clearly they wrote a better script and it got trimmed in posts it's weird you're (laughs) vacillating between blaming Chibbers for absolutely everything and trying to exonerate him as far as possible. I can't keep up with it. It's one heck of a ride. I mean, imagine how confusing it is to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've mentioned Lord Nibbler of the Nibblonians Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from Futurama, who craps dark matter, and here we have an antimatter drive. That's right. Who Who eats tremendous amounts of regular matter. Yep, yep, indeed. Well, he is found in Futurama by Churangalila. So, <gasps> surely this is a nod by Chibbers, right? Of course it is. Yes, of course it is. I had forgotten about her name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has to be just like his Don't Panic one from the Ghost Monument. It's just too yeah. subtle for a lot of people to get. A lot of the reviews on IMDb were like, how could Chibbers steal from... He's not got one original bone in his body. And he's like, he knows that. Every story under the sun's been told. He's just playing with variations and giving some implicit credit. I mean, personally, I think it's a nice homage. I don't mind it at all. Yeah. And I liked the nibbler in this one, the pating. Oh, you liked the pating? Yeah. It's dumb, but this entire episode is dumb. And... <laughs> If if you view this as a slightly more happy-go-lucky version of Alien, uh-huh. you're on a spaceship, you're traveling through space, and there is a killer alien on board, even though it's not going to eat you, and it's not going to do so horribly violently, that's very alien-y. I'm fine with that. And if this is going to be the alien, I'd like it, it's a nice touch that the alien in this one, that the Pating, doesn't have gigantic teeth and a massive tail and enormous claws and yada, yada, yada. It just looks like a little fuzzy teddy bear. Yeah. I wondered if it looking a bit like a slightly cranky fuzzy teddy bear with a little waggy tail, it would have been not nice. It would have been deliciously nasty to have some, I mean, you'd have had to introduce yet another character who you wouldn't have had enough time to get to know, but that's all fine because they're sacrificial meat. They are going to approach the cute cuddly alien and be corroded by its toxic skin and suffer all manner of horrible side effects and die gruesomely right there and and then you've got the real the contrast that but but then maybe that's too obvious and maybe Chibber's considered that and was like no no people aren't gonna like that i'm gonna do a third thing and people didn't like that either you can't win the poor man it's not easy being chib <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you another alternative how about if the pating eats bits of the ship and the engine and whatever else yeah. And also eats Ryan, because <laughs> Ryan is practically, like, it only, the Pating can only eat lifeless objects. <laughs> oh, dude! You know what, actually, I, I retract my Ryan, I instead uh, submit Yaz. <laughs> 
Yaz did nothing in this, except for the very end with Doc. Yaz was utterly absent. Oh, where where Yaz like says, "I would have picked a higher number." Yeah, that's that the scene, one exactly. spark of life. Well, no, that's wait, the... wait, wait. She does punt the Niblonian down oh. the corridor. No, no. How no. dare you, sir? How dare, How dare you I, bring sir? up one of the cringiest scenes in this entire episode? The uh, kick for England. Ugh. <laughs> Gross. It's weird it being on the BBC that they couldn't put the match of the day underlay underneath that. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yeah. (laughs) I've only made, I think, three comments about Yaz. Oh, four comments. One being that I really liked the scene in which she had her little banter session with Doc. But the rest of the comments are, this is Yaz's first contribution. Like the Red Cross. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of scenes in which he just stands around. Then Yaz's second contribution, like a posh version of my uniform camera, at which point I would like to point out, I've also added in my notes, I literally F-bombed the TV. There's just such a limited scope to the character in this episode. I see, I see what you're saying. She is providing a conceptual bridge for people for whom sci-fi is just too mind-boggling to process. Yeah. People who know what a uniform camera is, but don't know what space CCTV is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. People who who watch people running around a set without windows, and it seemed to believe that a hospital could possibly be on a junk planet when it's just piles of enormous trash, and don't see the twist coming, or, or don't even understand how it can be a twist that they are on a ship in space because that's patently obvious from the second doc wakes up because that's what happened in the ghost monument oh yes you're right yeah yeah i didn't think about this myself but i did see in uh, on todd's wikia the website formerly known as Tardis Wikia, in the trivia section. The, the website forever known as Tardis Wikia in our hearts. In our hearts, that's right, yeah. <laughs> that There's another episode that this one bears a striking resemblance to, and it's the, I, I've now actually, the, the title escapes me, but it's the one with weeping angels on a spaceship. Oh, is... Do you remember this? On a spaceship? Yeah, Amy is blind in it, as I recall. There's a scene where she blindly walks through... A forest aboard oh, the spaceship. Oh, isn't this flesh and stone? That's the one, yes, exactly. Because there, they are on a spaceship, there is an alien aboard the spaceship, and the aliens are drawn to the energy source of the spaceship, which happens to be some sort of time no, engine. No, I think the spaceship has crashed on a planet, but yes. Ah, okay, sorry, apologies. But yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't actually remember that. I'm going to have to re-listen to our review slash at some point 1,700 years from now, rewatch the episode itself. But uh, this is what the uh, TARDIS Wikia tells me. Hmm. Anyway, I feel like we We've had tangents upon tangents upon tangents. What were we talking about? The Suranga conundrum. Can I ask one of my introductory questions? Please do. What exactly is the conundrum? I believe the conundrum is how do we survive this one? <sighs> because only, oh? only in the way that the problems are just layered one on top of the other. The Doctor thinks she's halfway to finding a solution and then the three strikes and you're out thing happens. And then she gathers everyone together and they go some way towards forming a plan and then Yoss's water breaks. And it's just conundrum after conundrum after conundrum. It's a gauntlet of conundrums. See, I, uh, yeah, conundra. Sorry, of course. <laughs> hmm. A, a conundrum roll. I don't... <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what? I have, I have nothing to top that. Um... <laughs> 
I mean, it seemed like a perfectly serviceable title to me. Okay, it sure. sticks in the memory. That it does. Look how many words have been used in Doctor Who episode titles to date. If no one's picked conundrum, Chibbers has probably gone through the dictionary looking for good words. He's gone down his word of the day list as far back as 2005. I have absolutely nothing against the title. I think the title is is perfectly serviceable, but I do... <laughs> conundrum to me alludes to a... Um, hang on, I'm going to pluck a word out of the ether. Conundrum. Yeah. And in this episode, I, I feel like your answer to my question, what was the conundrum, is to point out something that can be defined as peril or, you know, life-threatening. Ultimately, it is semantics. That is true, yeah. And our answers are all sophistry. (laughs) Very nice, very nice. Okay, do you want to pong my ping? Or or do you want to ping my pong? How can a sonic not detect sonic mines? That's a good question. I'm going to subtract 0.1 from my score. I I mean, let me justify the subtraction a little more. The Doctor knows what this sonic mine is. So why is she just fannying around with everybody? Saying, look, look under this pile. There might be death traps under there, but let's take that chance. Space is fun. <laughs> Does she say that it's it would be instantly triggered if they make any sudden movements? She says, don't move. And then she tries to temporarily lock it, but it's got yeah. too many combinations or whatever, and out CPUs the sonic or whatever if it's gonna explode in their faces anyway why not move yeah what why not jump away and the impact will be a little bit le- uh, well less harmful why not temporarily lock themselves oh yeah bingo done <laughs> uh, if, if if a screwdriver can do that sure why not can i rephrase this question for you a little bit please how useless are sonic mines they're right on top of it. It explodes in their faces. Yep. And they're fine. Yeah. Also, I didn't buy Astos's explanation of what they did. It sounded like every other kind of explosion. What was his definition? They mess up the external environment at the same time as they mess up your organs. Mm. <laughs> Just like any... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, no that's, shit. <laughs> you're defining an explosion. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, a redraft required there. Uh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> also, I Tracy has talked about how the Doctor is a woman now, and okay, the, yeah. the Doctor is constantly leading her companions into peril, but so far she's two for two in taking them into space and getting them killed. If it weren't for someone else saving them, yeah. So I mean, you yeah, can't get true. any worse than that. No, that's absolutely true. If the <laughs> would you trust her a third time? How stupid would you have to be? I'd still go on a bajillion adventures with her but whenever she said listen no one else is going to be here to save the day when i inevitably f up no i wouldn't trust her but if she said yeah we will go rain bathing on the i can't remember what it was now that she uh, she told graham the upper echelons of masonia or something something like that yeah either way it sounded fantastic in, in the tropics of what's it called is what i've written oh wait that's not what it is <laughs> <laughs> That sounds fantastic. I'd go there with her. And we don't have to go salvage hunting afterwards, right? 
like that's Absolutely not our sort of Absolutely right. <laughs> exactly. In return yeah. for what seems like benevolence on your part. <laughs> that's how it works, I think. Exactly. That is a very tropey thing of I took you to the place of place on place. But I Everyone does that though. Yeah, I'm not gonna hold that. that against Chibbers. No, and I really liked A the Book of Celebrants and B the Army of the Underkind. <gasps> oh, I missed that. That was uh, who Eve Cicero was leading her forces against, I think. Oh, I see. In the battle of wherever it was. I want to see that episode. That sounds <laughs> badass. <laughs> Although, not if she's going to stand up wearing uh, marigolds <laughs> and half, <laughs> half uh, <laughs> petrol station reading glasses, you know. <laughs> if it's slightly higher end than that, yes, absolutely. I want to see her do that. Yeah. And well, were they skiing boots? I mean... Yeah, exactly. Skiing boots, marigolds, and half a pair of glasses. <laughs> Non-prescription glasses. You needed a <laughs> sense, didn't you, of the magnitude of what she was doing. She was just doing very slight, wavy hand... She was literally hand-waving the scene. Oh, my goodness. She was hand-waving it away. Yeah, and it is rendered further shit by the fact that her brother, who isn't as esteemed and talented a navigator or pilot as she is, is able to just do it. Yeah. that That's not how that works. If, <laughs> if everyone who knows how the technology works can do it super-duper well, then everyone would be a master pilot. There would be nothing special about this woman. <laughs> Maybe it's because he built it. He understands it as the engineer, the creator. But also, That's not the description he... that he gives, though, or the yeah. explanation that he gives. I'm sorry to cut you off. The explanation that he gives is that he is of that family, like of the lineage that has somehow inherent oh, yeah. in his blood. In fact, I think that's what he says. I'm a Cicero. I've trained for this. Exactly. No, you haven't, buddy. This is exactly what you haven't trained for. This is why your <laughs> sis resented you, you dick. Have you for didn't you not even listen to yourself in Act One? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna call him Cicero from now on. <laughs> can I ask you can I ask you a question about him? About Cicero? Yeah. Go about Cicero. I love that name, by the way. Why is everyone dressed in future clothing except for Cicero, who looks like he's out of a shop window of a mid-90s HM? <laughs> Because fashions cycle and come around and every 30 years or so, from here until 66, 80 or whatever it is. Yeah, but he's the only one. Everyone looks like they're from the future, except for one dude who is a spokes. He's, he's straight out of a Banana Republic catalogue. He is the fall catalogue of Banana Republic. I don't get it. Why are his jeans torn? Your problem with people who live on a planet are like, we're from all this one place and that's the whole planet. And you're like, there's more places on the planet. It's a whole civilization. Same goes for fashion, dude. Not everybody has to look quote unquote futury in exactly the same way. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But he. Oh, Dagnabbit, dude. Oh, you lawyered me, you bastard. Yep, yep, I shoved okay, fine. That as, <laughs> I hoisted it as far up as it would go. Oh, and it felt good. <laughs> All right, your turn. Ping me. Pong me. Okay, I'm going to say a good thing about this episode because I do Excellent. broadly like this episode. It picks up on something Marie said last week. Oh, let's hear it. Where Marie said the doc actually listens to her companions. Mm. And here, Astos is trying to get through to her and she's half out of her mind with confusion and worry and post-trauma and whatever trying to get to the TARDIS. 
And then she takes a moment and she takes it in and she plays it through in her mind and she comes around and she hears what he's saying. I agree with you. I really like that scene as well. In addition to listening to him, it's her accepting that she might not be right about everything, that someone else might be the voice of reason in that scene. Yeah. And then they go on to work really well together because they are both listening to each other and reacting to each other. They don't start the scene with disparate motivations and just carry it all the way through. They are actually two fully interacting characters, which happens much less often than it should. (laughs) I liked him, by the way. Oh, me too. I have written something down about him, about him giving me very specific actor vibes. Who would spring to mind? Oh, what's his name? Oh, flip. You're going to have to cut this then. (laughs) No, I... I the thing is, it's it's purely a facial resemblance. Oh, um, interesting. For me, it's the voice and the delivery of the uh, of of his dialogue, of his lines. Put us all out of our misery, dude. Paul McGann. Oh my goodness, I didn't go there. There were scenes where it, it felt like he was trying to do a Paul McGann, and you know what? Works for me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like when you go onto certain websites and you're like. I know you're not a milkmaid. That's not what milkmaids dress like, but I know what you're going for and it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to suspend my disbelief that Paul McGann hasn't had some major surgery. Oh, wow. (laughs) And is making a long pitch to come back for the 60th or whatever, the 100th, whatever bloody anniversary it is, as the umpteenth Doctor. Yeah, why not? Oh, I, I want, I so desperately, sorry, this is such a tangent, but I so desperately want a parallel Doctor Who series of just the eighth Doctor adventures. Have two Doctor Whos. Have the eighth Doctor and have the 14th Doctor. And then... Or the 15th Doctor, whenever it comes. Like, have two separate Doctor Who series. Oh, I'm sorry. I just and then have them linked by separate 10th Doctor crossovers that all interleave together at the end into one enormous climax. Exactly. Yes, let's Buffy and Angel this shit. This is what we should do. RTD, are you listening? Of course you are. Oh my god, I was just about to say that. Oh, a climax. RTD is a bajillion percent listening to this. Thank you very much, RTD. Come on the show. (laughs) Speaking of listeners to this podcast, Mm -hmm. it is so clear that Chris Chibnall not only listens to this podcast, but also he watches all the same things you do. He's trying to show you his credentials by showcasing these shared touchstones of Jodie Whittaker calling everyone into a room and saying, you're probably wondering why I called you all here. I know. I made a note of that as well. Oh, sorry. A bit Poirot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course you did. There's no other possible response. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in fact, can I, you just brought up something that you liked. Can I bring up something that I liked? Yes. For not all, but yeah, uh, I'll I'll say most of this episode, Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor. She was excellent. Yes. The, sorry, a bit of Poirot line, hilarious. I love the fact that she brought out a stethoscope. I love to listen to the whole. Why does she have that in her pocket? Great. I loved how doctory she was at times and how she was able to solve problems not conundra, but but problems. And she was fun. And there was a bit where she delivered a bit of just educational trivia about like the CERN scene, you know, oh. when they're faced with the engine. Oh, you didn't like that. I really liked it. I mean, had there not been a life-threatening countdown in effect. Yeah. Then, okay, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 
maybe put it nearer the beginning when everybody's just amazed by the facilities on board. That is true. That is a fair point. I, that goes for a lot in this episode, though. I'm oh, not going to hold that against. Yeah, th- like that, there are so. Is, I'd say that's seventy-five percent of what's wrong with this episode. I know we've mentioned many disparate things but overall that is what weighs it down i think one thing that kind of encapsulates that problem and that is that there are too many subplots like c plots d plots chibbers has a in fact the 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 episode that springs to mind is the ship what is it called was it called praxius the the gross planet where they oh we want a holiday and they go to no that's not praxius orphan 55 55 yeah Yeah. that sprang to mind where you have lots of different characters every single one has or should reasonably have their own arc but we only have 45 minutes even if we had one or two of those characters we wouldn't have enough time to explore their arcs and have our main cast and the same thing happens here so every single thing that you have to deal with, i.e. someone's having a baby, someone has a pilot's heart and a crisis of uh, of faith in themselves and a problem with their sibling relationship. And he has a problem with his wardrobe because it's from the fucking gap. And uh, <laughs> there's a technological issue and like all these different things. Oh, and she has a relationship with an android. Like not a single thing here is fully explored. And that means every single time that we cut away to anything that isn't nibbler eating the engine we naturally feel there's no time for this yeah yeah you shouldn't do this you shouldn't have this conversation right now because there are more pressing things that happen and even when there isn't a time pressure as a character you shouldn't be talking in that way i don't need your entire cv eve cicero i don't need your entire family history cicero Yeah, As in how you've felt belittled next to your sister for the last 50 years. I'm the guy who just stumbled in upon you doing some espionage. Yeah, and exactly. you're oversharing. I yeah. Mean, buddy. Like, remove the fact that there is a sibling r- rivalry of some sort. Remove that entirely. Uh, and, and forget about whatever else. Have Eve Cicero there, and uh, if you want to, although I do have a question for you about her as well, but have her there if you like, uh, if you, if you like and have her pilot the ship if that's necessary, but don't yeah. waste time on all these other conversations, because every single time that you have those conversations, just like every single time the doc is going to explain to you how CERN works, or every single time that you're going to have a conversation with Graham about, oh, well, we always uh, check our partner's phones, slash space internet records, you know, yeah, you're going to say, this is inappropriate. I think... Chibbers would have done well to just not have Cicero at all. Agreed. There is one moment at the end where he and Ronan admit their sort of grudging respect for one another as a part of the life of the person they shared in common. And and that's nice. And there's a little nice note. But that is all that he contributes. Otherwise, it is just backstory filler. He builds the rig that she pilots out of what? Out of a panel in the floor and what? He doesn't cannibalize anything from anywhere else. It just appears that it's just there it. yeah you didn't realize that there were ski boots under the floor <laughs> I mean, have, 
do me a favor. When we're done recording, just pull up the carpet in your room. I bet you you'll find ski boots there. Well, I did pull up the decking at the top of the garden, and what I found was a jam jar and the top <laughs> of a welly, not even the sole. I could wear it as oh. a sort of cool ankle bracelet. Amazing. It's... Oh, and of course, the uh, the lead-acid car battery. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I complained to you about <laughs> offline ad nauseam. Okay, I, I, will, I will go one step further. I want to get rid of not just Cicero, I also want to get rid of the Android consort. I mean, that follows, that naturally follows. Make him either a consort with an actual relationship, like a, an easily understandable relationship with um, Eve Cicero, or make him just an android. Because in this episode, all we learn is that Cicero doesn't sort of doesn't approve of their relationship in some way, but we don't understand what kind of relationship they actually have. Yeah. We don't understand if he's right or as in if Cicero is right or wrong to have these feelings. We have absolutely no idea whatsoever. Yeah, we don't know the grounding for his disapproval at all. At all. And at the end, the android almost seems to, at least to me, I mean, I really, I just watched this right before we pressed record and I haven't really had time to digest this, but it seems almost almost as though the, the android corroborates everything he says because he i mean does he see, does he really mourn the death of of his partner i i'm not sure he does he like, doesn't have emotions at all exactly he's, so, he's actually a much more realistic and ac- i say realistic <laughs> we don't have androids obviously but he seems like a much more accurate representation of an emotionless android than data ever did yeah, data that's was true. constantly emoting Co- all level. over the place yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so for that reason, wouldn't it be easier to just, rather than hint at some really, really interesting, I would love to hear that story. I would love to learn more about their relationship. But because we don't, it's better not to even hint at it. So let's get rid of him entirely as a character. Yeah, and also there's the fact that he shuts down at the end. And I think felt that I ought to feel sad at that point. Like, that's what the episode maybe should be asking of me. Like, this being, this this being is sentient, not emoting, and it's essentially going to die. It's going to terminate. But you can't feel sad for it because we don't know anything about it. And he hasn't had a chance to act. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. And also, it would add something to Eve Cicero's character, actually, for her to be, like, pulling rank. I mean, th- I suppose she sort of is doing that in allowing the android to do it or maybe she doesn't know he's doing it uh yeah just get her to do it and it's way more interesting when she's yeah, saying the android just comes across as an asshole yeah when but- he walks up to what's her face um studio ghibli what's her name Mabley. Mabley. When he goes up to Mabley. Ghibli, oh, <laughs> right, gotcha. And he's like, it would be a shame to give you a negative endorsement on LinkedIn. Like, what? What the, what the fuck are you doing? You're threatening someone. Yeah, so early in your career, when so few people are viewing your profile. Yeah, that's utter shit, man. Yeah, so this android, get rid of him. As you said, either have her pull rank or just have someone fawn over her because she's such a legendary individual. Well, I mean, that can be part of the scene as well. She could be pulling rank because later on she talks about how she was the fastest ever to ascend the the grades and she's got a persona, a public persona to uphold. And you could see her motivations all sort of coalescing and wavering and the pressure she's under that she can't admit to herself because if she does, her heart will literally explode. 
her facing all that alone would be, yeah, potentially way more powerful as well. What an embarrassing way to die, by the way. Uh, you're, you're hard explorers while you're wearing ski boots and marigolds. <laughs> yeah, but you just did to save all of their lives, so they owe her... That is true, that is true. Although, a, a actually, her brother, who has none of the talent, just finished the job, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question about her? Why is she on this ship? Because she requires medical attention. Wait, but why is Reese's anyone on this ship? Because because the Yoss needs to be induced at the hub that Rhesus yeah. won. That's why they're taking him there. You've got the two medics who are there to take care of him and anyone else they pick up. Oh, so are they transporting these patients from somewhere to the hospital station? Yes. And they only pick up Doc and Cole because they happen to trigger their alerts when the sonic mine goes off. Yeah, the uh, robot dredgers, they're called. Send right, yeah, yeah. No, some, yeah, of course, some, yeah. Some kind of hand-wavy signal. I guess what I'm trying to say is it feels like the most legendary pilot ever would not be on this ship. Right, like her own people would provide some sort of glorious cortege. Yeah, she would be on a military hospital station, or she would just go straight to the station. Like, she wouldn't be picked up by this nonsense spaceship. Well, I don't know. Maybe they just cornered the healthcare market in that galactic sector. Oh, actually, you know what? That's true. (laughs) I hadn't considered that. they've clearly automated everything far beyond the point that they should have stopped. That the savings are literally astronomical. Okay, yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk more about Astos. Oh, let's hear about Astos, man. Because he was played by Brett Goldstein. Uh-huh. Goldstein, I don't know. He seems to be a regular on Ted Lasso. Oh, I've I've only seen a couple of clips on YouTube. I've not actually watched the show. Yeah, I've heard good things. Something I found in general looking up these actors' resumes. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> credits <laughs> on IMDb. Filmographies. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Is um, now that we're dealing with a much more recent episode, they haven't all been in the same shows on the same four channels that they used to be back in the 2000s and early 2010s. Now they've been in all these different series on all these streaming platforms that I will never get to see. And so there's just no point in reading out their IMDb pages anymore because none of it means anything to me. These people also all came after Game of Thrones ended, I think. Oh, right. So there's... (laughs) Can't even say they were in that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's interesting, because I was just about to say that, yeah, I mean, the everyone and their dog was on Game of Thrones. Sorry, I got distracted. I tangented myself. For those who keep track of such things, he may just be the first competent, likable white guy of the series so far. Oh, right. Um, no beef with me, but I think it's taken us this long. <laughs> yeah, no, no with me. I, I guess some of the listener minis of late have, have pointed out similar or related things. Yeah, okay. I mean, th- there are plenty of likable dudes who happen to be white on the on the show. In fact, there's, there's for, for about 60 years, there was an abundance of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I liked him. I'm just making that point in passing. Yeah, I, I liked him too. With a couple of exceptions, but those exceptions are not just about him. They're about everyone in this episode. And that's that 
at least on one occasion, every actor gets to do straight up dreadful acting. Oh, go on, let's have some examples. Astos's final interaction with... No, you know what? I'm going to introduce this. Uh, Corridus or Corridons, my friends. Oh, finally, I get to play. If you're about to be jettisoned from a ship and blown up, would you call your only colleague on board and poorly deliver a bland message of confidence, or would you at least briefly explain what's going on? (laughs) Oh, dear. Especially because the doctor is up his end of the ship, and that's just that's just where Nibbler has come from. (laughs) And she's the only so many heos. She's the (laughs) she's the only other one who knows what's up. And she knows. Yeah, Doc is. You mean? Yeah, and and so if Nibbler gets her, then nobody on the ship knows anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. So no, what I would do is I would think about my colleague who i've always believed in through all of her one tour and a bit to date and (laughs) (laughs) always and that means a lot and i would give her a five word pep talk as the radio (laughs) crackles into white noise it's like i believe in you and and then what that sets up is her saying he believed in me later and that's her whole foundation and as my legacy, I think that's, you know, testament to to my compassion and my foresight and just my all-round manliness. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That That is a Steven Seagal farewell. <laughs> that's not a compliment, by the way. I, I mean... <laughs> Originally, the reason I brought this up was because I feel like his delivery of those lines was really poor. It was in in no way convincing. But in terms of the writing, that is utter nonsense as Mm. well. Mm -hmm. Why isn't he going, I grew up being raised by my aunt. Find auntie, um, whatever her name is, uh, Julia. Tell Julia I became a doctor. I did. They're called tomato in the 67th century. Find. Find my aunt Tomato. <laughs> Tell Tomato I, I did my best. <laughs> yeah, wait, excuse me. Why is no one else called a fucking vegetable in this thing? The, the, I, I love the whole, yeah, I'm going to name this baby avocado. I thought that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But why is no one else called that? Oh, yeah, uh, I'm paprika and this is my partner, macadamia. You know, like, why is no one else <laughs> edible shit? <laughs> this is my partner, cool original. <laughs> this is a suntangy cheese. <laughs> oh, this this episode, actually, that would be a good two-word review. Tangy cheese. <laughs> Tangy cheese. So cheesy. It's a shame because I made a note of the end of the previous scene where they part as you might be a bad liar Astos but you've got excellent instincts I thought that like cemented the end of their sort of meet cute yeah. really well I thought it was a great line with which to end a scene agreed totally agreed and before that the whole start of the uh, the bad liar s- uh, sequence really nifty I thought yeah but but the, what you said is all valid and then at the end when the life pod disengages why did it explode I was just about to ask you what this presupposes that you don't have an I mean now I assume that you don't have an answer for me 
Uh, well, no, because I've asked you the question, and now you're <laughs> you're the one tasked with answering it. I don't have an answer for you. Oh, man. oh, it's been ejected. Why isn't he just floating in space and just out of reach? He can't affect the situation anymore. Yeah, that he, would be just as bad for everyone on the spaceship. He goes off and becomes Major Tom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> floating in the most <laughs> peculiar way and all that sort of thing. We, we should we should be cutting in and out to him throughout the rest of the episode as he as he gets colder. <laughs> And eventually his tongue gets stuck to the intercom. And he's like, I can't go. Oh, it's like, hang in there, Astos. I'll save you. And he's like, I'm going to die out here, Doctor. <laughs> I'll be there in just a moment. I promise. No, you have to let me go. Oh, if you say so, Astos. <laughs> it's all right, Doctor. I'm ready. I've lived a good life. <laughs> say hello to Auntie Tomato. I was just about, oh my God, I was just about to say that. Oh my, just seriously, that's insane. I was just about to say that. With the tongue and everything. Oh man. When you know you've done too many episodes together. Oh, two peas, one pod uh, cast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've got another Corridus and Corridons for you, buddy. Oh, brilliant! Oh, fantastic. <laughs> if you're on a hospital spaceship and someone walks up to you and says, I am the doctor, would you assume that they are the doctor? Or would you assume that they are some legendary individual whose nomenclature corresponds to a very common word that is, in fact, closely associated with your immediate surroundings, but that apparently has had an entire volume dedicated to them in some historical annals? I would have to go on the immediate context and think to myself... Okay, I know who the doctors on this ship already are. It's Studio Ghibli and Argos. And if this person comes on and says they're the doctor with such (laughs) authority, there is only one being in the universe who could be addressing me right now. That's right. It's the one who's been written about in the Book of Celebrants. And I skimmed through their chapter because, frankly, it dragged a bit. (laughs) I wouldn't expect anyone else to ever set foot on this ship. If they weren't there when I boarded, I don't expect to ever leave. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Because doctors never get ill. And That's doctors what... never set foot on hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a busman's holiday. Well, Corrie, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm 0 for 2 on that one. I think I'm right yeah. twice. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But, yep. terrible writing throughout this episode, but I'm going to nominate what I think is the best line of the series so far. Oh, I'm very curious. Which is the Doctor trying to give Ghibli her own pep talk about solving the problem with imagination. And she says, whole worlds pivot on acts of imagination. Oh, that's nice. I just love that line. I confess, I missed that during the rewatch but yeah I, I like that a lot yeah yeah that seemed from a higher tier yeah like that that was a line that could you know that rtd moffat classic writers could have been proud of yeah or even other higher tier writers umberto eco could have written that <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe he did and he just hasn't been credited <laughs> Go on, dude, you must have something else you liked. Let's talk Ryan. Yes. Across the companion ship. There are just too many of them in this episode. Ryan doesn't get to do a lot in this episode. And oh. for that reason, I think, just like all the other companions, he's 
I, I, I feel bad saying this, but in a sense, he's a failure. Like, all companions are a failure from the writer's perspective. Yeah, I think Ryan's only contribution in the first 20 minutes is to stand badly composited halfway up a sheer garbage cliff, as if he there isn't just tumbling down into space, and say something about, I'm really high up, but I don't mind, and that's it, until halfway through the episode. But he does get finally, finally to do something interesting with mm. his backstory. He gets to inject a bit of his backstory into the present of his arc. Uh, in his conversation with Yaz and in his conversation with, uh, I want to say, Yoss, is that his name? Yep, yep. How do you feel about that? Because personally, I liked it. I think more could have been done with it, but I think what they did was all positive. I also liked it. I saw why they cast Tosin Cole, finally, when he was talking about losing his mum. And yeah, I could... I could see so much more then than I could at the funeral, which is my touchstone for why I didn't think he could act previously. I thought he yeah. played that scene really well. And and he's had years to think about this. So that in a way justifies all the ready formed conclusions that he so easily just spews out at Yaz when she asks him a question and prompts her as a good Yaz does. <laughs> CF, what's antimatter or whatever the hell she says? Yeah. <laughs> what's an antimatter drive? And yeah, I really liked how it tied together at the end because they don't have to be especially deep or profound, these lessons or these conclusions. Um, but you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be there. That seemed so true to Ryan. That seemed like good jam and string. I agree. Yeah. And when he has his, I mean, the only arc here that is probably concluded of Ryan's, I mean, that is probably concluded is his pep talk to Yoss when Yoss is losing faith in himself about to give birth and he starts talking about no you're going to be a great dad to this kid you're 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 going to be by their side and and you can read all of his backstory into everything that he says i love that scene mm. i absolutely love i Contrary to what you've just said, I feel like the acting, the, the delivery there is not great. I don't think that that's stellar acting. <laughs> but I think the writing of of Ryan is absolutely spot on. Yeah, don't, don't misunderstand me. I thought when he was talking to Yaz was when he was really properly acting. Right, yeah, sorry. Of course, yeah. When he's forcing out the lines quickly with his bulgy eyes, that's a bit basic. <laughs> His bulgy eyes. His eyes are just wide open. That is acting. That that uh, for toasting coal about three fifths of it. And when you want to be quiet and broody, you keep them more closed. That's crucial. That's from the same acting school as that episode of Friends with Gary Oldman, where they just spit at each other. <laughs> I liked, although Yoss was very cheesy, mm -hmm. uh, played by, I should name the particular cheesemaker, Jack Shalou. When he is losing it and they're talking about, oh, they're yelling at each other, like, stop panicking, I am panicking, that's why I'm showing at you. It's all oh, pow, 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 very nice. This episode is good when it's quick. When it, when it stops and gives characters too long to grandstand, oh, it's fatal. I, I don't know. I mean, Chibber's, he wrote 42, an episode which was yeah. one long countdown. 
ship under siege. And yet he seems to have forgotten all the principles here. You don't waste a single second. A lot happens in this episode. Still an impressive amount manages to happen in 50 minutes. Yeah, true. But if you just taken the three or four or five minutes, the, the, the 30 seconds from each of the characters that laboured the point, and there was also a fair amount of over-explanation as well, the whole something breached the shields, something was outside the shields, and now it's inside the shields. I like that scene, though. Uh, oh, you didn't. At that stage of the episode, the plot was still innocent. The writing was still <laughs> innocent. It hadn't delved too deep into the, oh, shit, Chibbers is out of his depth territory. And it, it, it was good. I really, really enjoyed it. Okay, okay. How about later on, then, when Doc's saying, if the Pating eats the engine, then that means that the ship will drift helplessly through space. Because without an engine, ships can't power themselves because as i've just explained to you at great length the antimatter is what forces the matter to move and uh, shut up doctor goodness <laughs> yeah yeah i mean what's to stop them from just turning it off <laughs> I, oh I mean, going into dark mode just yeah just do that the pating is gonna bounce off to whatever else is turned on anywhere nearby done yeah well i mean seriously do that, yeah, that send one final distress call to the space station to say hey this is where we're floating come here and find us done yeah also if a pating i mean this is one of those things that breaks the episode or, or breaks the universe one of them has to break if a pating can happily swallow a bomb what's to stop it picking off stars which are floating in the wilds of space i know and yeah i know i know no i thought that as well yeah. it's like there's there's you wouldn't stop by the way there's a teeny tiny bit of electricity in every living being as well just eat them yeah 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 they're organic what what, uh, why is it for ideological reasons that it doesn't eat organic matter it's only interested in stuff that has what that that is made out of plastic or is electrical (laughs) (laughs) you have not figured this out Yeah, and also, if you're such a great space pilot, A, how did you survive when your fleet was annihilated by the Pating? Yeah. And B, how did you survive? What did you do? Like, (laughs) did you learn anything from that experience? Can you apply those lessons here? Well, did you fly super close like like directly at a star the pating is pursuing you and you bank at the last second and it goes oh here's here's my energy and it just gets incinerated yeah and if you have if there are two of you and you and both of you have one of those ghostbusters laser things that stuns a pating why do you just stun it once and then football kick it somewhere (laughs) why don't you just keep fucking stunning it yeah it's not the borg they don't suddenly develop a shield patch <laughs> over where you shot them a second ago yeah and why do you kick it down a corridor and think you've saved the day why don't you flush it out an airlock and float away you utter dicks yeah the pating doesn't have a jet engine if it's floating in space it can't jump after you it's in space i mean I think it did just track the ship down. I don't think it had its own little craft. But it can't propel itself. How does it propel itself? Uh, slingshot around the sun uses gravity. Ah, the old voyage home technique. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Cut to post credit sequence the Pating eating a 1970s whale. <laughs> 80s, I should say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so full of mass that potentially, or potentially, yeah. that the, the sun would slingshot around it and go hurtling through other solar systems. Like, That's these, right. These things are far <laughs> too destructive to be in this universe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But, but, but. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. We've had the adipose, and they were grey, and most of that episode was also at night. (laughs) And And they were cute and tiny. Yes, and they were so, so simple. This is a fully articulated thing with proper limbs and expressions, and it's scrabbling around, and it's acting like a little animal, and it is entirely... Really CGI. And so convincingly done. Really well done. Yeah, for Doctor Who, this is a leap. I love how it interacts with with the environment. There are a couple of scenes where it, it delves into a, a pipe and then it swings around another pipe and it jumps around and... It's super well done. Really, yeah. really well done. Yeah. And I think there's one shot that is zooming in on it, zooming in on its bum as it's scrabbling around at the end of the pipe. I think that entire shot is CGI. I think. I think the pipe, I think all the things in the pipe, I think that's all CGI. I think you're probably right. Yeah, which is super impressive. They've come yeah. a long way. Absolutely. Think back to uh, Dr. Lazarus as a giant crab creature or scorpion or whatever the hell that thing was with not Mark Gatiss's face on it. That's right. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I liked the uh, Pating theme, the music, or whatever it was. It kept sort of tinkling away threateningly. Oh, I cannot comment because I didn't register this. Okay. Oh, I should. If I had watched this last night, I I would have I would have paid attention to it. But unfortunately, I was just like, oh fuck, I've got to finish this episode before we press record. I'd like to call back to Jodie Whittaker. We mentioned briefly in passing that she's good. Yeah, the camera has the confidence. Jennifer Perrett was the director of this episode, which was first broadcast on the 4th of November 2018, by the way. Well done. She had the confidence, the chutzpah, to put Jodie's face close up, front and centre, in a lot of shots. Like, you could see the pain that she was in as she was staggering around the ship. And the camera loved her. Or I loved the camera focusing on her. I thought that she was worth pretty much every minute she was on screen, apart from the obligatory ropey section. But there was one point where they close up on her face. Uh huh, yeah. And then they close up on her hand gestures, sweeping up and around. Oh, oh fine. <laughs> I've already written up some bullet points for my mini, and this is in my bullet points. Oh. Sorry. Even her insane gesticulations gets a close up. <laughs> Get a close up. Subject verb disagreement. F F S. Do you see what I've been saying all along now? Do you get what I'm saying? Every time she speaks, she speaks with about 98% hands. I am increasingly seeing it. I am increasingly unable to not see it, thanks to you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. all right, I'm striking that from my mini bullet points. All right, steal something from my review. Go on. In general, I think the fact that I have fewer notes than I would normally have is indicative, uh, maybe in part, of the, <laughs> the, the fact that it was an entertaining episode, I think. Yeah. I, I didn't stop to go, oh, I hate this. Oh, this is poorly written. Oh, this is terrible. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, here's another hundred words of bile for the end. <laughs> I mean, speaking of bile, there are a couple of scenes that I've just signposted in my notes as utter <laughs> scenes, okay. uh, including the scene where Yoss talks about his internal fluids having broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I just barfed out of everything. That's oh, horrible. That reminds me of a question. How do you think the Giftons reproduce? Do they finger each other? Like, do they both have fingers that can impregnate the other? What's going on there? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't know. We, we never get to see any of the bits. <laughs> I mean, the, the only thing that tells us that this is the identifiable by Ryan and Graham, and I guess by Doc as well, as the male of the species, is his face. And possibly the pronoun that he uses, if he uses it, I don't remember. I watched this in a haste. And the fact that he can't work an oven. Ha ha ha. I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, I, that feels a little sexist. But yeah, okay, fine. I hadn't that, I hadn't clocked that. However, I had clocked, and one of my original introductory questions, and I wrote this down during maybe the first half of the episode, or what, whenever this happens, I can't remember. So before it's clarified how this is going to work, but I did write... If you were to give birth out of your dick, would you not take off your sweatpants? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to see that happen. Well, it turns out it's a C-section, and we don't know if he has a dick. Like, the, 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 whatever. Like, we, we don't know how that's defined. Their species definitely has a gender binary, beca- or sex binary. That's true. Because because he says girls give birth to girls and boys give birth to boys. Yeah, that's true. But when you said, how do they reproduce? Is it by fingering? Uh, we don't know what bits they have. We have absolutely yeah. no idea. Maybe the male the anatomy there is like... Uh, plunger and the the other uh, the female part of it is a whisk <laughs> yes i love that <laughs> yeah either a whisk or <laughs> i mean i was gonna go with the <laughs> just the plug hole of a kitchen sink so <laughs> it, <laughs> oh that that does make its own sense <laughs> so in in that regard we don't know and consequently i i don't have a specific answer for you in how they reproduce but i have absolutely Absolutely no doubt that it is sexy as hell. Insanely sexy. Well, he clearly couldn't stop himself. Yeah, because he went to Gifton Gran Canaria, had a few too many Gifton margaritas, and uh, got himself Gifton fingered or yeah. whatever, plungered, and it was great. Also, how just irresistibly charming is Bradley Walsh going, breathe deep, cockle. Yeah, that is quite nice. <laughs> would you get on a spaceship and have that kid? He clearly doesn't want to have this kid until he has the kid. Maybe have an abortion. Also, how quickly do you have to flee the scene if your reproductive system is accelerated to the extent that you're going to give birth within a week? Like, you've got to pull that finger out and hail a taxi as you (laughs) lift it up. He's on the easy jet plane out of of Marbella. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> You're absolutely right. He is, if it takes a week, he is, he hasn't even checked out of the hotel before he's showing a bump. Yeah. <laughs> and so what is he doing? Is he going, beep, 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 beep. Oh, is this 555 Tsuranga? Yeah, pick me up, please. Because apparently you just pick up people. What, how, I don't, I still don't get how that works. So now oh, he's on this Taranga. Wait a minute. Here we go. This episode doesn't add up. I knew it. Doesn't it say near the beginning that it's going to take them four days to get to Rhesus 1? Something and like that, yeah. He's being taken to Rhesus 1 yeah. to induce, because if he goes another day, then it's like going another month for a regular pregnancy. Except it's that's still three days too early. Um, I'm subtracting 0. 0.3 for a uh, incongruous, hang on, incongruous, that's how you spell it, uh, timeline. Yep. <laughs> if you're going to deal with concrete numerals, you got to line them up. Oh dear. That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> I can mathematically prove that this episode is wrong now. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take off 0.3 as well. <laughs> one for each erroneous day. <laughs> and I have one right. last one last thing that I will say against this episode. Okay. I'm getting really tired of Graham trying to fist bump Ryan and Ryan just rejecting him. Yeah, that was really che- It wasn't even cheesy. It was unrealistic that, that is a, a an entirely unnatural exchange between these two characters unless the reason ryan's i mean you'd have to spin it slightly differently but unless the reason ryan goes no i don't want to fist bump you is you played off as a joke the very cliched joke of no no one does that anymore dude like that's really uncool i, I like you but that's not how anyone interacts with anyone well that's sort of where i was going to come at it from bradley walsh's i don't know graham late 50s 58 maybe and 58 year old white dudes shouldn't be fist bumping at at least in ryan i'll I'll be fist bumping when i'm 58 at least from ryan's perspective which is what you were just saying a minute ago yeah so you disagree with me you disagree with yourself (laughs) that's fine i disagree with myself all the time but yes i i (laughs) you're you're absolutely right from ryan's perspective that's that would be the opinion yeah but i found this a downer to the otherwise wonderful creekside eviction scene where they drove blake the snake back into town in rosa and they came up with their fishing rods and was like you ever seen a man juggle fish yeah i think we might stay here all day cockle all that sort of stuff and they drive him away and then the fist bump happens there and you're like oh i was so close to enjoying that and the same thing happens here the birth scene would have been way better without this sucking away the energy at the last yeah minute. i really liked the birth scene otherwise i really did yeah i believe you were about to address the ending i was indeed yes but we do often say oh yes once again doctor who in brackets moffat has had an occasion to include some anti-religion sentiment and this episode ends on a in my notes i've just called it a pseudo-religious event because i i'm not i'm not entirely sure it's addressed in the episode i don't think it is but it seems to be a prayer of sorts in the future whatever the century is i've forgotten now 68th century or whatever 69th century 67th century i was pretty close yeah but inexorably drawn to the 69 (laughs) (laughs) this appears to be a prayer that people are familiar with and doc having visited this century at some point is also familiar with it and she herself 
recites it, it seems to me, because she respects the fact that everyone else in the room from this time period lends a certain credence or gravitas to it. Yes. She's not there as a superior atheist tourist. She's like, this means a lot to you. I'm going to wholeheartedly join in with the crowd. Yeah. And perhaps even more important than the fact that she knows that the people who are alive around her lending some some, uh, weight to this is the fact that she knows that the person who has passed away would have appreciated it. That's th- that's the sense, I guess, from it anyway. Mm, like right, she cool. says this, she recites these words because she feels that Eve Cicero, she would have wanted that. If she were somewhere viewing this scene from wherever, she would appreciate it. Yeah, or had she ever imagined her death this is how she would have seen it going yeah. before they shoot her out into, well, hopefully onto the Genesis planet. You never know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the visual that I got as well. It ties so nicely to the fact that the first time that Doc and um, Eve Cicero meet, Eve, Eve goes, are you the doc? I mean, independent of the fact oh. that that's shit writing, yeah. Eve <laughs> immediately goes, wow, you're that person that I really respect. I like you know I I I've heard of you I know that you have been somehow influential historically speaking you have been influential on what I know what I'm aware to be relevant culture <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. so at the end of her life doc kind of returns that favor I think that's a very nice touch I I absolutely love this final scene yeah and it is I mean Capaldi got better but he was never as respectful exactly he treasured life certainly but he never respected it in the way that Jodie's does from the very start. Yeah, exactly. And although I only have experience of the Anglican tradition, the whole, and these are the saints, and this is what we say, and this is the next bit, that was, the cadence was absolutely bang on. Like, I've done that a billion times. Uh, I I don't have that experience myself, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. Although, I did think how it was slightly undercut after the camera stopped rolling, after Jodie said, for now and evermore. And then Ronan said, bleep, blob, dream, draw. <laughs> suddenly there's two corpses in the room. And now they've got to do the same again for him. No, they're not. They're going to chuck him on a recycling heap. <laughs> the, the, well, when the... the uh, post credit sequence is they go back to the rubbish tip planets to pick up the TARDIS oh, yeah. and before they board the TARDIS they just chuck him on the pile <laughs> yep and he hits a sonic mine his body shatters <laughs> wibble wobbles into a hundred pieces they go like high five team TARDIS dispersed off <laughs> everyone who matters is happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then Yas says that he anti-mattered and Doc's like 10 points Yasmin Khan oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not even going to go into my other Star Trek reference why don't we review this <laughs> <laughs> let's and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings right this is a weird beast of an episode like many of Chibber's are it's got solid bones but its skin is a weird Frankenstein patchwork trying to masquerade as an android doing a pale imitation of human components <laughs> a few minutes are truly extravagantly wasted which would have been better off easing just some of the whiplash we repeatedly experienced trying to swallow huge character boluses of information when each one gets their allotted screen time slash info dump scheduled 
splurge. I mean, these aren't people talking for the most part, but when they are, when they are people talking and bouncing off one another, it's really good. There's some really good writing in this episode, like I had forgotten Chibbers was capable of, along with the the other stuff. One thing I forgot was that I really enjoyed Graham's Call the Midwife chat, when he talks about he's gained useful life skills, but then it turns out he looks away from all the squeamish bits. That connects with some trivia, which is that Jack Shalou, in the same year that he was in this episode, was in the Call the Midwife Christmas special. Ooh! Can that be a coincidence? Uh, hmm. I mean, Surely yes, it can not. be, but, but uh, I'll be optimistic and say no. Yeah, which is a nice touch, if true. And we've talked about a lot of the things we like, and it's easy to pick out the crap because there is plenty of it but also it stands out against the background of the good stuff we haven't been just kvetching for a hundred minutes at this point it's i think it's been a more varied review (laughs) than often one thing i do need to say though is that chibbers cannot write siblings to save his life is he an only child he must be or do him and his sister have this weird way of talking where whenever they get emotional he calls her sis and she calls him bro and i'm proud of you sis like if, if my sister was was dying i wouldn't be like i'm proud of you person who shares the same parents and that's how we know each other that's not part of the equation you just say i'm proud of you because i know you and i've known you all my life and you don't need to be designated by a word for the onlookers who haven't been privy to my particular consciousness it's like ah i every scene in which they interacted where they were sort of jokey like ah, i can still do it boy or yeah well oh i don't know it it, just get rid of Cicero, like you said, and Ronan. Much better episode. Definitely. But still, still, Astos, big positive. Jodie Whittaker, huge positive. Everybody had a crap moment, but everybody also had good moments, even if Dirkus Cicero only had the one. So, 3.2. 3.2? Wow. Okay, well, hang on, I need to make a note of that. That's it. redonkulous. 3.2? Redonkulous? Oh, dear. Yeah, I, I mean... Uh, Better than arachnids. I gave that a 2.6. Right. Well, the the reason I say that is redonkulous is because, spoilers, I'm not going to be that generous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I only have some bullet points. Uh, I won't be able to provide quite so eloquent a, a, a prose review, but here we go. Uh, I'm going to follow my standard list of categories. I'm going to start with a doctor. Jodie Whittaker, I think, is doing some very satisfying work in this. I think she actually resonates with me as a as a the doctor, not a doctor, the doctor. Hey. She is fun. She has that educational moment that you and I disagree on. I really enjoyed it. The certain moment. She makes light of very, very dire situations in a way that I feel the Doctor often does. Hmm. And in a way that I feel that no other character in an episode has the right to do. And unfortunately, every other character here does. That's a problem. Oh. But I do really enjoy Whitaker. I, I I like the humor of it. I like the the teeny tiny bits. I already mentioned the stethoscope. I, I I like the scene where she goes, "Oh, the 67th century. It's tricky in the middle, but it gets better at the end." I love it. If I yeah, I I I I'm gonna raise 
from a like to a love. It's it's fantastic. Conceptually and actually. Absolutely. But then her gesticulations do get a close-up, and her acting (laughs) is occasionally a little bit shite, but so is everyone else's. As far as the companions are concerned, hmm, Graham might be a little wasted. His scene with Cicero springs to mind, where it's, what, has he just been standing in the doorway for the past hour and a half? And then just as we cut to him, that's when he walks up to Cicero and goes, Hi, why are you looking at your sister's records? That seems a bit dumb to me. Yeah, why Um, does Cicero turn around and say, What the hell are you doing standing in the doorway just spying on people? (laughs) Yeah, that's not cool. Uh, In fact, pot kettle black. So (laughs) (laughs) next up, Ryan is also hugely wasting this. 90% of Ryan's contribution to this is just Ryan standing around with no lines. But when he does have lines, finally he gets to make a meaningful contribution. We already talked about it. Like it. Yaz. Uh, wait, no, I don't think she was in this one, so I'm not even going to comment. <laughs> as far as the foe is concerned, the Pating, what a lovely, diminutive little critter. Little derivative, perhaps, but we already said, might be an homage. At a certain point, all these aspects, like Nibbler of Futurama fame, gain such fame that they become staples, and even if you plagiarize them, that means that you're just dipping a toe in an established lake of sci-fi, and that is what Chibbers has done here. I'm perfectly fine with it. Production value, excellent. Uh, Minimalist sets, convincing CGI, Nibbler looks good. Uh, I'll give some bonus recognition for the Scrap Heap Planet, which I thought looked fantastic. The corridors, in... the, the the corridors and the displays on the side when she jabs the Sonic at it, and he goes, "You can't do that," and it's changing. Looks perfect, stunning, absolutely stunning. I liked it. I also liked because I think it tallies with this that once she has activated that panel and she walks away, we'd still get a scene of what's his face, Argos, you called him, clicking invisible buttons on that wall panel to deactivate whatever it is that she's sonically activating. I thought that was a very nice touch. Well done. Greatest asset, great service. Biggest flaw, comprehension deficiency. Main takeaway, (laughs) for a change, Chibbers doesn't try and fail to tell every story on the planet in 40 minutes. But Chibbers does still try and fail to tell more than can reasonably fit into 40 minutes. So as a rating, I have decided to be a little bit more positive than I usually am in Chibbers' cases. I'm going to start at a 5.0, which contains a bunch of great tension. We didn't talk about that, by the way. Lots oh, of tension yeah. in this episode. Um, some very mm. cool concepts, excellent effects, fun cast, yada, yada, yada. A couple of tropes, maybe, but who cares? And then I'm going to subtract. 0.5 for terrible acting. 0.6 for too many C-plots. 0.3 for cliches. More cliches, in fact, than a pitting can stuff its face with. 0.5 <laughs> for redundant companions. 0.3 for a dude lazily having been dressed in the 1991 Gap of Fall collection. And <laughs> thanks to our conversation, another 0.1 for Sonic's not detecting Sonic Minds. Thank you, Drew. And 0.3 right. for incongruous timelines, which gets me to a 2.4. Very nice. There we go. That's fair. That's very fair. Yes, tension. Yeah, it, it whips along. It doesn't give you part from when there are the punctuational marks of this is what we're saying now the rest of it mm, like a wave (laughs) yeah exactly it's a good thing eve cicero isn't watching it is all i can say (laughs) 
Yeah, she'd be flapping a reprimanding marigold our way. <laughs> <laughs> but, Leon, who else has been watching this episode? Might you be referring to Podcast Land? The very same. <laughs> let's hear what they think. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. This week, we've got one listener mini. Hooray! Very, very, very short notice. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, apologies, Podcast Land. And getting in well ahead of time, what a swat, is none other than Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Kieran says, hi, folks. And he begins with, alcohol of choice crabby's alcoholic ginger beer oh that, you know what that's a nice choice yeah that's often my podcasting alcohol of choice <laughs> i mean crabby's if you're listening clearly i'm doing free promotional work on your behalf sponsorship <laughs> yeah and Kieran continues units consumed prior to watch 3.6 units consumed during watch 3.6 oh nice sounds like a <laughs> fine evening <laughs> yeah that sounds balanced Kieran continues oh it's this one the conundrum or something like who came up with that name why did they pick that title even just calling it the pating would be better than that I mean yeah I, I actually do agree but but not because of the Saranga more because of the conundrum (laughs) (laughs) yeah we know why it's called Saranga we explained that yeah thank you for elucidating us oh you're welcome Kieran continues to still no cold opening still feels weird and Kieran just finds this one boring it feels padded and drawn out the plot is sort of fairly well played out and the only things new are the window dressing the old pilot who shouldn't really fly again old trope the man who's pregnant just a not well written twist on an expected trope. Maybe RTD would have done that better. Oh, interesting. Though it did give insight into what Dave Lister would have gone through. Now, that resonates deeply with me. Oh, I so need to watch Red Dwarf. (laughs) Why does that resonate? Oh, because that's exactly what happened to Dave Lister. Wait, he gets pregnant? Yeah. Really? He gives birth. Oh, I did not know that. sort of fudge it and it becomes like a parallel universe version of him or I don't know, but yeah, there's a lot to take in. Okay, I'm I might just... You know what? Sod it. I'm going to start watching Red Dwarf as soon as I'm done with... Uh... Big Fish? No. <laughs> I also need to watch that. As soon as I'm done with... <laughs> Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> you watched... Oh, next paragraph. Um, it's not... My... It wasn't my choice. I'm happy with it, but it wasn't my choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kieran continues. Are you also experiencing comprehension deficiency? Lol, but yeah. And can we cut the CERN antimatter TED talk? Mm-hmm. There were several moments that the air pretty much stopped to do something not really necessary. Yeah, we touched upon this as well, Kieran, uh, as you'll have heard by now. I really liked that TED talk, but I totally take the point that th- there's a time and a place, <laughs> and this ain't either of them. Yeah, and the music didn't help because they had a special science's fascinating theme written for that scene. Ooh. With the gestures. Like, <laughs> like, she's gesturing like this because science is just... Oh. I disagree with you. She's not gesturing like that because science is a uh, O-face. <laughs> she's doing that because that's what Jodie Whittaker's doctor does. Yeah, but that's why the close-up was on it. The close-up, the music, everything. Crescendo time, O-face time. Shame the pating didn't fully eat the sonic, Kieran says. 
And Kieran concludes, two things I did like. The doctor almost fucking everything when she wakes up and being talked out of it by the head medic. Nice bit of undercutting of the doctor's ego there. And the ending moment. And Kieran's own ending moment is 1.5 out of 5 spaceship machining monsters. (laughs) Well, we've got another spread. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Sadly, it is a man spread this week. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you very much, Kieran. Absolutely excellent stuff. Really, really love it. In fact, our three ratings, yet again, second time in a row, perfect diagonal. Nice. Yeah. Um, Drew. Yes. I've got a whole bunch of boxes I need to move into storage, but I'm very mindful of the environment. And I don't have a car. How would you suggest that I transport those boxes into storage? Wow, this sounds like an Evanga conundrum, which can be solved, fortunately, by buying some electric vans at KJ Evans too. That's the kind of evangelical <laughs> Twitter <laughs> promo we are <laughs> we're prone to give here on Who Back When. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. <laughs> And that's abruptly it. Sorry that's right. again. But, you know, poor old Jim. Jim, get well soon, if you're listening. Yeah, please do. I'm assuming Jim is going to listen to this on Sunday whilst still recuperating, because coronavirus is a B word and it takes a while. Mm. Still haven't had it, but I hear it's balls. It is. Yeah, it is. Oh, oh Jim. Jim. <laughs> and soon to be Marie, probably. Is this the last of Doctor Who, Drew? Why, no. And neither shall it be the last of Who Back When. What have we got coming up next? (laughs) Next up, most likely, we will have the episode that we originally intended to do and that I originally announced we would be doing today. Again, sorry, Podcast Land. Namely, a bonus episode about the Fifth Doctor. That's right, it's the Fifth Doctor retrospective. And then after that, we're going to be back for N150 with Demons of the Punjab. I remember that being both very interesting from an educational point of view and not very good from a Doctor Who point of view, but I may be mistaken. I remember it as being high drama, and I very much hope to get into some nitty and or gritty. What is forthcoming in the classic channel? Oh, excellent question. I'm glad you asked. Well, after that, we are going to be talking about the very first of the Colin Baker serials, namely The Twin Dilemma. Holy moly. Dang right. Uh, We're going to have a guest host for that one as well, which I look forward to. Oh, brilliant. And in the audio channel, back to Peter Davison. Yes! Can't let him go yet. It's going to be The Gathering. uh, Yeah, I'm not done with you yet, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) You get back here right now. <laughs> Excellent. And that's it. Where can you find us in the meantime, though? Should that's you wish question. to, of course. It's your choice. Leon, are you on the line? That's right. I can be found on Twitter at Ponkin, P O N K N. Rhymes with lots of stuff. Yep. <laughs> Stonkin, good handle. What and about you? I'm at Drew Back When, which, which rhymes with precisely one thing. <laughs> Excellent branding. Thanks. <laughs> Well, Podcast Land, you've been a treat. I hope you think somewhat similarly of us. Uh, catch you next time. Until then, have a nice May and uh, bye bye. <laughs> I love it. I've had a blast. Thank you so much for a spiffing evening, dude. And thank you very much for listening, Podcast Land. Rock on and cha ciao. 
Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?